Hey Rob, a ton of races, ton of races. We're obviously on for two specifically, but let's go through some of those we've missed since we were last on. So Volta Catalunya uh, out in Spain, uh, edged by Primrose uh, Roglic, uh, just just a touch, um, but it was it was tight at the end. Uh, we won't we won't delve into them too much. Um, uh, Bruja de Pan, obviously won by Jasper Philipsen, uh, E3 Wout van Aert. Uh, his uh, counterpart won Ghent Wevelgem, uh, Christophe Laporte, also taken Dwarsdorf Landren. And then we are on to the Ronda, um, which you're going to talk us through. Yeah, Ronda van Vlaanderen, uh one of the biggest races of the year, men's and women's events now. Um, men's event, I think the, from E3, especially as a race, there were three very big favourites in Taddy Pogacar, Matthew Van der Poel and Wout Van Aert. Um, these three, I think we'd seen in the previous races, clearly head and shoulders above everyone else on the climbs. And, you know, they definitely Van der Poel and especially Van Aert had teams to support them. So for it to go any other way than uh, Tade, Matthew or Wout as winner um, would have been a big upset and many people predicting those three would fill the podium. Um so yeah, a dry addition as well, um, probably making an upset less likely. Um, I think the way racing's changing is people are less, like brakes aren't getting as much leeway as they used to, um, especially those early ones um, going away, not getting too much. Um, and it was about 100k really until a full break was established. And yeah, yeah. Um, I think he kept on quite a tight rope. Obviously, as it progresses, I think, yeah, raced. I didn't think, I, I thought those, the three, um, Matthew Van der Poel, Van Aert and Taddy Pogaccio would kind of, when when serious riders started attacking, like they gave Mads Pedersen quite a lot of rope, in my opinion, yeah. when yeah. his group went away. Um, we've not too, well, we're still quite a significant amount to go, but they gave them a lot of rope a lot of rope and it was a very strong group and to be honest none of those teams really represented i don't know what your thoughts were at that part of the race i thought it was it was getting tense because you obviously had this uh bunch go away which had the likes of stefan kung uh mads peterson as you mentioned and and uh, very big hitters in there and it was like are they gonna mark each other out which they've done previously i'm talking a few years ago now they've there's so much head and shoulders better than everyone else now that it looks like they can allow such a group to go and have the confidence that they'll catch them because they've been caught out previously. I think um, it was a previous edition where Vi, Wout Van Aert and uh, Van Der Poel just marked each other and they were getting quite frustrated with one another too. And it was like, yeah. um, I, if you're not going to win, I'm going to make sure you don't win either. And it was just getting a bit silly almost. Uh, but I think, the the way they are riding these days, uh, Rob is absolutely phenomenal, absolutely incredible. The the fact that they can get let such such champions up the road, uh, former world champs and whatnot, uh, TT specialists and all sorts, and still have the confidence to chase them down, almost almost by themselves at points. Like you had uh, um, Vanderpoel continuously attacking and obviously uh Pogacar then doing the same and obviously just chasing them down by himself is it's absolutely incredible i don't think i've seen anything like it and it's 
it's uh, we're very fortunate in a sense that we get to witness such uh, such history happening before us with with these three phenomenal phenomenal athletes and if they weren't around then we'd still be saying the same stuff about the likes of Mads Pedersen, Stephen Kung, uh, Ghana and all the rest of them so it's like yeah these guys are incredible incredible athletes um and obviously if you talk us through the rest of it and we'll we'll, we'll have more discussion points coming up I'm sure yeah, so, yeah, I mean, this group as well, just to restate, like, Casper Askarine was in it, yes. former winner, Mads Pedersen, former second place, Stefan Kung had been fifth, Fred Wright seventh, and, you know, there's others in there, Nielsen Paulus, very solid rider, Benoit Cosnefoir, Jorgensen's had a great season, and, yeah, it's just crazy. I And this group got, got to three minutes, they were given an awful lot of rope, and, you know, these, like, Van der Poel and Van Aert didn't really have a whole lot of other people to help bring them back. I think, um, yeah, when when you go next, we get to about 50k to go, big climb on on the, and yeah, really selective climb that Pogaccia attacks on, sort of getting quite a big, well, not, not too big a gap, but just, I think he closed the gap from the lead group to the favourites group yeah. from about three minutes to one and a half minutes, yeah. just on... On, on really quite a short climb really and it's it's just crazy that he can do this um just the difference in waters must have been monumental and you know he did gap everyone he got Laporte he got Wout he got Vanderpool and Pidcock which to me was quite quite a surprise that he could do that that early on in the race because I think if they could go with him I think they likely would have um and yeah him how they get initially getting a gap but then you have uh, pretty much a, a very all-star group chasing him down in Wout Van Aert, Matthew Van Der Poel, uh, Christophe Laporte and Tom Pidcock. So it's so great great to see Pidcock and Laporte. I think they both putting in one massive effort to stay with those two yeah. up that climb. Um, kind of weird tactics for me from Yumbo when uh, they're chasing Pogaccia down. I don't, I don't think he was planning on going solo at this point, but we saw... Uh, Christophe Laporte sort of like jumping across to him when it was kind of looking inevitable that the the gap was made. I was I was kind of surprised at that. I didn't I didn't really understand why why he did that. It seemed as like a bit of wasted energy, and I don't I don't think he'd have really fancied going in a two way break with Pagacha because I think it was it would have been inevitable. Pagacha dropped him, um, yeah. but yeah, that was some interesting tactics from me, and. I think at that point it just looked clear that those guys were just on another level to those on the group in front. You never know how fresh the guys are in the group in front, but yeah, from three minutes to one and a half minutes pretty quickly, it was yeah scary to watch. I think the, um, the cooperation in the front group was struggling a little bit, maybe slightly too big a group uh, for them to be fully fully cohesive. Um, and then then we're seeing Mads Pedersen uh Taking about thirty k to go, a very a very good move. Realizing that group wasn't working, yeah. yeah, pretty audacious given how strong that group was and what's coming behind. But definitely a good move because Mads was clearly clearly on a very good day. It's been a great great uh, season for him. Lots of this top is, five. This is exactly what I'm talking about, Rob. If if those three weren't around, we'd be we'd be talking about how how such a great champion Mads Pedersen is and. All that rest Absolutely. of it, you know what I mean? Like it's it's incre it's absolutely incredible. But I'll let you carry on. Sorry. 
Yeah, if those three uh, absolutely, if those three weren't weren't around, it's yeah, it's fully. You know, if you really look at the race and how Mads performed, he could have probably had a good chance of winning Roubaix and uh, and Planters. So, so yeah, not ideal timing to enter the uh, the top ranks of Cobble Classics, but is where he finds himself. And um, yeah, getting away and really getting quite a gap on on the others on the chasing group. And yeah, the thing is with Mads Pedersen, I I actually think I think he's got a stronger sprint than. All three of the big three, like Wout Van Aert, uh, Pogaccia and Van der Poel. I think maybe Wout, Wout Van Aert might, might have the edge. Although Mads, I think, I think can definitely argue he's the better sprinter here. And so as long as he got to like 16k to go where it's all flat from them, he can like sit on. And then I think he was the best sprinter still in contention. So if he got over the last climbs, I think he actually then becomes favourite potentially to win the race but he he kind of fell just short with uh both Pogaccia and Van der Poel going past him after dropping Van Aert pretty surprised Van Aert was dropped although he crashed quite badly earlier on had quite a wound on his knee which yeah maybe it was impacting him I think it probably did have an impact but yeah those two really were a class above Van Art essentially towards the end, even though he's performing on an extremely high level. We saw Nathan Van Hoydonk wait for Wout Van Art. Me a little, a little too late. I'd have either liked to see him race for the win himself, which pretty unlikely to do. Yeah. Um, although I think, I think given how little work he'd done in that front group, he'd have been very strong. Um, I, I don't, I don't think he'd have liked held on to Pogaccia as he went past, but also I don't think by the time he dropped back, Van Aert was ever going to win again. He was just going to get dropped on on later climbs. And yeah, I think it was a I think it was day done for them at that point and just almost nice and symbolic that they were <laughs> showing that Wout was the leader and when Nathan dropped back for him. But um yeah, I think he should have dropped back earlier or not dropped back at all. I think that was a a bad time for him to drop back and wait. Um, and yeah, then, like I say, when Pedersen, Pedersen caught and passed by Pogaccia later on, passed by Van Pol as well. And this was the really interesting point. So you got, you got, you got Pogaccia clear, Van Pol, and then you're thinking because Van, Van Pol's the bigger rider, he would be able to catch Pogaccia back on these flatter sections. However, he just, he just wasn't, he, he, he's just not. Pagatcha yeah. was just going away. Pagatcha was time trialing away from him, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And the only possible play Van der Poel could have done differently is potentially waiting for Pedersen. And yeah, I don't. I'm not not convinced that would have worked. He'd have lost quite a lot of time waiting for him. And then, yeah, how much has Pedersen really got to contribute as well? And then if you bring Pet Pedersen, wait for Pedersen. You might just get out sprinted by Pedersen, but. I think for Van der Poel, if he caught Pogaccia, he'd be quite confident in winning that sprint um, after seeing how easily him and Wout Van Aert beat him at E3. Um, and yeah, that was kind of it in the end. Pogaccia just time trialling away. I think I think it's been yeah quite a uh, quite a boring last 16 kilometres, really. Uh, Van der Poel clear, clear in second and Pogaccia quite, quite clear for the win. I think it was quite clear. Even at even at eleven kilometers, nothing much is going to change. And um, 
yeah, Pedersen getting caught by the group behind, containing Wout Van Aert. And yeah, Pedersen holding on for a solid, solid third, very good, mm. solid sprint. And yeah, I think I think if he got over those last climbs in contact, even with Van der Poel, personally, I think this was his race. He came, he came a lot closer to winning the race than I think people realise. And yeah, a really, really strong performance from him. Absolutely. And uh, I was just, uh, just before we came on, I was actually re-watching last year's race. And if you remember, um, it was Van der Poel and Pogacar who were away for quite some time at the end of uh, last year di- uh, last year's edition and uh, Pogacar didn't pull through and it came down to a sprint. Uh, but actually they got caught, well, Pogacar got caught on the line and ended up with fourth. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote a wrong there. I mean, uh, he corrected a yeah. wrong there, rather. But um, yeah. I think... Uh, he must be, if I'm not mistaken, the third Tour de France winner uh, to have won Flanders, which is absolutely phenomenal because when you think of a Tour de France winner, you think tall, Langley character, Wiggins, Froome, uh, or a small character like Egan Bernal. Uh, you don't you don't have this image of Pogacar um, winning Flanders, which is which is mental. You have, um, you normally have someone who is great at the long, steady mountains. Um, not someone who then can do that and can hit it on these sharp, sharper sense. Uh, which is, I don't know, Rob. It's, it's we've entered new territory. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's not something we've seen for decades almost. I mean, there's there's two big challenges to winning the Tour and Flanders. It's you know the first one is you have to have the physiology to win both, and yeah, Pagacha has that punch, like that amazing like two three minute power which he was displaying. Um, but like which you know you don't really need that amazing two three minute power to win the Tour. It's easier to like you know improve your your one hour power on Alpes if you if you don't have that two minute power to go with it. In my opinion. Um, so it's just to have that wide range of physiology Mental. is incredible. But then also to to peak at these two different time points in the year, you know, you know, like Bingergaard, I think I've said it before in this podcast, like he's only really ever in his top form at the tour. Uh, we've not seen him at Which that top traditional. form right. outside no. the tour in these two years. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's partly traditional, but you like, it's like, it's such you a got, big goal that you're going to focus on it. You spend your season focused on it, right? Yeah, you, you do have to adapt your training. And I, I think, I think peaking, having a peak for Flanders definitely disrupts your training. And you know, you're going to want your body composition. You don't want to be at that that real race weight throughout the whole season. But which gives you an advantage. Like I'm, I'd, I'd be pretty sure, like you know, a rider like Geraint Thomas for sure is probably a long way off his Tour de France weight for the for a te- uh, at least 10 months of the year sort of yeah. thing yeah. um but Pagacha I don't know if he if he drops his weight too much for the tour but I know, I know weight's not crazily important for Flanders but he's in he's in some serious race shape the whole whole year round and being on that year round form is is also a massively impressive thing as well as having that diverse physiology and you know power profile impressive throughout from one to to six hours so so yeah it's mad because um what makes it more incredible his win is the fact that van der Poel came out and said that he was on a flyer like he felt so good his numbers were looking great and he gave absolutely everything and yet pogaccio rode away from him so 
we know Van der Poel is on form and uh, we'll talk about his uh, win in a second, but Van der Poel on form and yet Pogacar just rides away from him, which is, and the rest of them, which is just, yeah, I just can't stop uh, gushing about it because it's just, I don't know, it's just incredible. Um, But it also raises questions in my mind. Um, I don't know about you, Rob. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess. He never... For sure, Pogaccia is probably doing stuff better, like whether that's nutrition, training, sleep, recovery, or like, yeah, like more questionable activities, like for sure. Um, for sure, he's doing stuff better. He's probably one of, if not the most talented riders in the peloton, but, you know, his, his coach has a medical degree from Harvard and is, I think, is like head of Colorado Medical School. So he's a pretty clever guy. Um, so I'm pretty sure Pogac is doing close to everything right. I'm pretty sure that's one of, if not the best coaches in the world he has as well. And yeah, it's hard to ascertain, you know, Yumbo as well. They clearly had a lot of value to all their riders and, you know, you can never be too confident through which methods it is legal or illegal. They'll for sure be gaining a lot. They'll be doing the legal stuff a lot better as well. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that whether they're doing other stuff as well or not. It's, it's a guessing game, really. Very I think, diplomatic, very diplomatic. I think as, unless you're in there, it's, it's hard to hard to tell, really. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think I, I, you know, there's scientific studies which show you can get away with micro-doping and stuff and, and that it does add a significant performance advantage. But, yeah, whether he just wins anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah, know it's true. It's true. Um, any any surprises from the results, like top tens? Anyone caught your eye? Um, I mean, I think throughout this classics campaign, uh, Flanders, I think Jorgensen, uh, Matej Jorgensen, a great start to the season, and that includes doing doing well in these races. Nielsen Paulus still doing uh, that. Still doing well. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Neil managed Powell. fifth. He, he got a few wins early this season. Yeah, he's, he's a good shot. Yeah, man. yeah, good good rider from Movistar. Nielsen Paulus. I, I I don't know. I don't know if I've been underrated. Always under. I think I think he. I think Nielsen Paulus goes well in in long races, um, which perhaps I hadn't really clocked before. Yeah, he did well at, at Worlds when they're in Belgium as well. Um, Pedersen. I I think a lot of a lot of. A lot of people have sort of been saying Pedersen was capable of this sort of season for a while. Um, but yeah, he's kind of confirmed himself as, I, I think, the best of the rest sort of thing. Um, other than that, no, no, I wouldn't say there's anything anything crazy or even any real admissions. You could say yeah. Sagan, but I think... I think crashed out, sort of... crashed out in Roubaix as well, unfortunately. Um, yeah. You know, um, I don't hide the fact that I was a big fan or I'm a big fan still, but... Yeah, he's he's on his way out, and I've got to yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he has retired for the end of the season from maybe yeah, maybe right. meant retired as well. Um, so so yeah, but other than that, no, not really. There's no no surprises in this, no mega surprises in in the top ten for me. Um, so yeah, just yeah. a just a fair, pretty fair fair result, and uh, yeah, hopefully all the riders are happy with how they did. A brutal uh, race. Oh, maybe. Yeah. You could say I think it's potentially worth mentioning Sudal Quick Step. Um, yeah, a long way from what they once were. Um, yeah, yeah As- Askreen was seventh, but he never looked like he was going to win. And um, 
didn't really have much support. Um, I think I think you can kind of say, bar Remco, that that team is fading very quickly. Uh, I can't really think of another rider on that team. I've been overly impressed with bar Malia um, for the for the sprints. Other than those two, I I think you you can't really praise anyone on that team overly at this point. So so yeah. Uh, Another tough couple season for Sidal Quickstep. Yeah, unfortunately, and uh, they uh, they actually just released a YouTube video which which had the headlines up like uh, a horrific a horrific cobble cobble season or something. I can't remember. I'll, I'll look it up in a sec. But it was just uh, they they know themselves that it, it's not going well, and um, uh, there's like Patrick Lefevre has a big job to do. He has 21 riders on their final year contracts, so. I think we're going to see a huge uh, upheaval of riders. Um, he, 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 we both know he has zero uh, loyalty to his riders. Um, if someone's not pulling their weight, or he doesn't like someone anymore, flavor not flavor of the month anymore, he's he, he gets rid of them pretty quickly. Um, but I think he probably has the biggest job on his hands that he's ever had um, to turn it around. I guess, uh, I... yeah. I, I agree, but I, I don't think it's his riders he needs. I think it's his his support staff. Like we say, like we look at Pagacha and how well Yumbo are doing. Yeah. It's, it's the support staff that make the difference. If every one on your team isn't performing, it's because you're no longer training and looking after the athletes as well. Is is my thought on it? I don't think like like none of his riders are really like aging out. Like Lampart, Alaphilippe, Askreen uh Seneschal. It's not they're not all like aging out. They're just declining as a team. And whether they've lost key people to their performance staff or there's some practices they were doing that they decided they can't do or don't want to do anymore. Um or maybe, you know, their their bike, their equipment isn't as, as much of an advantage as it used to be. Um, uh, okay, interesting. I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, everyone else has stepped up. You're right. Yeah, it could just be every everyone else has got better equipment, better training, or theirs has gone. They're trying stuff that isn't working, and yeah, a myriad of factors. I think they need to look at what they're doing to make the riders better riders before they kick out riders. To be honest, that that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, but um, we know how Willefevre works. He's he will kick uh, a few out. At least half of the yeah. twenty-two will go. I I imagine, if not more. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's probably right for them as well because it's not a team adding value to riders anymore, and it's a team that's not known for paying high. So I think a lot of these riders should. I think it's in their best interest to leave as well. Yeah, and uh, on that, we'll. Oh, I, I did find the video in the end. It said a miserable day in hell, um, which <laughs> I guess swiftly takes us to Paris Roubaix. Uh, just weekend gone, incredible, incredible scenes. In fact, um, that was. Perhaps my, uh, from my very short, I don't know, uh, cycling career of uh, watching the sport, is that two minutes was probably the most exciting or most electrifying that I've ever watched. Um, there's obviously <laughs> longer, longer situations whereby the other things have gone down and Tour de France uh, a few years ago, that TT at the end, uh, those were all big, big moments. But this two minutes was just, phenomenal you couldn't you couldn't predict what was going to happen next but we'll start right at the beginning rob take us back yeah. and then we'll, we'll come to that moment 
So again, um, no real break. Being let go for a long time. I think we're at we're about 160k before we get anything close to like a real real uh, breakaway being allowed away. Um, and then we keep on going, and I think it's around 100k. We see Yumbo 100k to go. We see Yumbo Visma really setting up a big a big pull. One of their riders, uh, Domestique, is just going crazy into a, a tough cobbled section. Um, and then with both Christoph Laporte and Wout van Aert, um, two riders very capable of winning this race. Laporte have been unlucky in Flanders the week before, but has always performed well at Roubaix um, with just bad luck kind of ruining his chances. They went away, 100k. You've got a group of Christoph Laporte, Wout van Aert, Stefan Kung, Van der Poel, John Dagenkolb, um, and Madis Michels, very promising young Estonian rider, I believe. Um, and yeah, a very, very solid group. Uh, riders that would then come across, I think that I think maybe Laporte should could have. Yeah, you kind of want this grab to grow, but you kind of want Laporte to not just kill himself as a donkey. Laporte can sprint as well. Mm-hmm. So if Laporte's ever in a in a front group going to the finish. You kind of you kind of want him there because there's not many people who can out out sprint Laporte, and I'm I'm not entirely convinced that Wout's a better sprinter than Laporte at the moment as well. But yeah, riders coming across that included Mads Pedersen and Filippo uh, Ganna. Filippo Ganna definitely getting a lot of attention before Roubaix. I think starting it as third or fourth favorite, which. Yeah, I, I never really I've never really agreed with it, but then I, I, I think I am someone who keeps under underestimating Ghana. I was surprised at how he performed at the uh door, door the the uh, stage race in Argentina earlier in the yeah, year yeah. and also at San Remo. But yeah, <laughs> bit of a surprise for me, but yeah, Ghana Ghana coming across. Um and then yeah, just I think the ninety two K we see a Laporte flat tire, and yeah, this is this is this is bad, bad, bad news indeed for for Jumbo Visma. Laporte for me could be a leader on any team. Laporte for me is the third best, potentially the third best cobbled. For me, he was the third favorite at Roubaix, other than uh, Walton and Matthew. I, I give him more chance than Mads Pedersen. And Ghana, I, I think he's a better rider. I think his sprint's fantastic. I, I think his, his strength's fantastic. And his, his one and two minute power is very high. I don't think there's many people who can really match that. Um, but yeah, he punctured and the group of the dynamic changes changes pretty quickly. Um, with you know, riders riders coming across, including Gianni Vermeesh and Jasper Philipson. So now free Alps into Kurt. Alperson riders um, to only Wout, so he's outnumbered three to one by Van der Poel's team. You know, Welshide coming across as well, um, solid guy, but but yeah, a bit out of his depth in this group. Um, and then yeah, from there, have you got any thoughts on how the race has panned out at this this far? I just thought it was uh, again, once again, like you've got <laughs> well, we don't have three this time, but we have two phenomenal phenomenal athletes going up ahead and the fact that van der Poel was animating um up until that point well he continued animating but we'll go into that and uh it felt like 
at a time that he was uh, riding riding almost for his teammate. Um, we couldn't tell what was what was going to happen, and I guess it adds to the drama because the way he was going at it, it's just uh, incredible because he had a teammate in the um, a sprinter, and it's just the dynamics changed so much and, and it kind of played into their hands later on as well. But yeah, I'll let you carry on. Yeah. So I, I think when you, when you assess the group, when you're looking at it with 80k three, you got, you know, you got Van Aert, Van Der Poel, clear, clear two favorites. And I think at this point they'd shown the two strongest in the race as well, but with Philipson there, I think, you know, Philipson's looked very strong this season, but it's still a surprise to see him, see him in this front group um but yeah clearly i i think i think pedersen's got a good sprint on him as well uh but i think if it comes down to a sprint philipson's the big favorite although you're still not expecting it to come down to a sprint at this point you're expecting it for sure to break up a lot more um and yeah so 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 you kind of you're looking at it with 8k to go who needs to attack Gannon needs to attack, Kung needs to attack, um, and realistically, Van Aert needs to attack. He needs to get rid of Philipson. And basically, what Van Zippon needs to do is if Philipson's still looking good, he just needs to sit on. I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to try and win the race solo and be aggressive and try and win it himself instead. But, you know, having Philipson there is a big, a big ace card for them to play. Um, carrying on going... Yeah, it's kind of looking like Wout's going to stay isolated. No one really coming across to him. They got unlucky with the port. Then Van Baal also crashing out mm. in pretty brutal fashion earlier on. Apparently, stopped having to glue his parts of his face together. So it really does sound like a, a horrific crash for the um, defending champion. But yeah, lots of aggression from Van der Poel. Um, I, th I think sometimes he can... Some of his attacks kind of unneeded, unwarranted. Yeah, yeah. Although I think, given given the confidence he has in France, he probably thinks he's stronger than Wout. Probably mm -hmm. wants to go solo and then hopes they all look behind him. Van der Poel, you know, if Philipson gets dropped and he's going to the sprint with Mads Pedersen and Wout van Aert, that's not not a great situation for him. He's more than likely going to lose that sprint if it's him fighting out. So. I, I can definitely understand why why he wants it selective at this point, um, but yeah, yeah, I th I I, th I I don't think he's got the best racing brain on him to be honest. But yeah, he's so strong he wins a lot of races anyway. Um, and yeah, carrying on, we uh, we see twenty eight k to go. Jasper Philipson forced into a bike change. I kind of thought, you know, you, you should, you know, it's. Nice, especially in grand tours to wait for people when they have mechanicals. But you know, if I if I was in the group or was DSing the group, I'd I'd, I'd tell people, I'd tell my riders to slightly push it. Push it was it almost it was almost the perfect perfect change. Um, it, it, there was a lot. It was of a good change. The, yeah, it was no, but uh, just just the whole timing and everything. It was like there was a lull in the in the proceedings and do you think that was because of the bike change or they were just knackered and it just turned out to be at that same time um yeah i agree it was lucky um i i think it's like the upcoming sections they're probably saving themselves for that you probably don't want to attack go solo with one or two others and then get um caught before the next five star 
cobble section um, and then get dropped. So, so yeah, you're right. It's definitely a part of a race you want to be recovering on and not going hard. But um, yeah, you do. I, I'd really want to put Jasper Phillips under, under some pressure there. But um, yeah, they let him. They let him get back quite quite easy. But yeah, maybe I agree. Doesn't really make sense for anyone to really to push there. So, so yeah. Um, then after that, I guess kind of the the main thing is we come into the car for the Labra, kind of the last real real tough um, cobbled cobbled section. We see Van der Poel and Van Aert. I, I believe they started this uh, quite quite far from the back. Was my impression? Yeah, what, that's what right. Do you think they had that? to come round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Van der Poel Which, wasn't wasn't ready for it at the time. Yeah, no. Which um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably, I don't know why why they're starting at the back. It's clear they're both going to go, you know, whether they're just happy to sit there with each other. And um, yeah, I think it's here. We see a very controversial moment in uh, Van der Poel trying to get through sort of a gap between Jasper Philipson and John Degenkolb. And yeah, Van der Poel, Van der Poel trying to go through, Philipson closing the gap on his own teammate. And uh, that forcing Van der Poel into John Dane Cole, 2015 Paris Bay winner, had a lot of a lot of a lot of struggles, not many results in these last few years. And a lot of people very happy to see him back at the front. And he was he's going well. He didn't look like the guy who was about to get dropped by any sense of the imagination. Um and yeah, just kind of accident in my opinion, well yeah, it's racing incident, accident. right? Yeah, it was just a racing incident, right? I, I, I'd call it a racing incident. Some people saying like Van der Poel should be disqualified. No, I, no. I don't, don't agree with that. I think it's just a very unlucky race incident. Although I don't know how, because it, it's so clear, it's just one team who made that happen. It sort of feels unfair. They then get to win. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. It does I leave a bad like, taste in that sense, I guess. But yeah, like. I, I don't think you'd have podiumed whatever happened, but it's 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 so cruel that that chance gets taken away from. I don't know whether they should have to give him like a portion of prize money or something. So I don't think John Dagen Cole will be getting paid for too too big a fraction of what Van der Poel's getting paid at the moment. And yeah, for sure, I think his his uh, next contract would have been a lot higher if he got to pull off a result here, but. But yeah, anyway, it, yeah, it does. I, I'd be, I, I'd feel quite bitter if I was um, Dane Cobb. But yeah, I agree. It's totally just a racing, racing incident. I'm not sure about bitter, but he, he did show incredible emotion both at the time. I, I don't know. There, there's plenty of clips, both from fans and on TV as well, of him um, just just the emotions running highest even at the time of the bike um the incident sorry um you know there was a fan who helped him get back on the bike but then it was clear that uh he'd need a new one and he was he was he was distraught and he showed it in the velodrome as well um but the racing happened so fast rob as as i'm sure you were watching like we didn't have time to dwell on that no, no. Well, I, I thought Vanderpol was going to go down as well. Vanderpol did quite well to save it. And then just as that incident happened, you see Van Aert absolutely going hell for leather right past it. And, you know, this was this was a full-on attack on... And there's still quite a long way to go on this cobbled section as well. Um, and definitely, for me, a great move by Van Aert. I think he has to get rid of Philipson. 
um, or at least put him under a lot of pressure. I think I think preferably Van Aert wants to go solo here because if Van der Poel is on him, Van der Poel should then sit up and wait for Philipson to, to come as well. I think if Philipson is in that final sprint, I think it's... Uh, I think they've got at least 70-80% chance of then winning that race. Philipson, for my eyes, definitely the fastest rider in the world right now and he wasn't looking totally cooked at the end of this race either. Um, and yeah, Van Aert going, getting a gap and then all of a sudden looking, appearing to tie up Van der Poel going around him and then getting a gap and you're thinking, ah, oh, that's it, Van der Poel's just so incredibly strong and then you quickly realise... Uh, Van der Poel's punk, the Van Art has punctured, and then Van der Poel's away and clear. And you know, is a is a bit of a shame because at this point it is slightly anticlimactic. You know, Welt has to pull over. Not there's not a bike waiting for him. He's got to do a wheel change. He's now behind, coming off this cobble section behind Pedersen, and the nail in the coffin is Philipson's there. Philipson's come out of this cobble section in third and is clearly very strong. Um, and Van Aert then chases back onto him. Uh, and at, the, at this point, Van Aert is screwed. Like, Van der Poel now has to, like, cock it up, or that group has to essentially sacrifice themselves. And even if they do sacrifice themselves, kill themselves, bring back Van der Poel, they'll just get done in the sprint by Phillips. And anyway, so uh, I, th- I think at this point, Van der Poel had, had won the race, Um for me, that's my thoughts on it. But yeah, what? How did how did you feel about all that? Um, like it all happened so quick, you know. Degen Cole going down, uh, Van Aert attacking. Um, perhaps on the back of that, the fact that he saw there was an incident and probably attacked Van der Poel, cl- trying to close it down and managing to do so. Van Aert then, yeah, it was just so much happening so quickly. Um, but what I found the most incredible from that whole section is the fact that. How much of a gap did Vanderpool pull away in just a short period of time? That that's what I was focusing on in that period. Like they were all together one second, and then within what two minutes he's got a two-minute gap. Okay, it weren't two minutes, but um it was absolutely incredible. He pulled away phenomenally phenomenally, and um yeah, it was just very unfortunate what happened to Van Art. And uh on another day, if uh Laporte was there. That's a free will for him of even a, a bike changer, a quick bike change, and we would have had a completely different race. Um, well, yeah, or all the port keeps going, and then I yeah, think absolutely. gives it a good good job of chasing Van der Poel down. I think they catch him, and then you still got Pedis, uh, Phillips in there, which makes it tough. But but yeah, it's a a Jumbo Visma are very unlucky. I think if you run run this race. 100 times and um, yeah if you run this race 100 times I think a Jumbo Visma wins it at least 50 out of 100 times they were very unlucky with Van Baal you know or, or you know they're, they're like I say, kind of say they're three leaders last year's winner Van Baal crashing out Laporte puncturing out and then Van Aert kind of you know he still came third but puncturing out a sort of thing um so yeah, tough day for them. Very unfortunate, and uh, yeah, I think I can't take away too much from Alperson. Alperson, though, um, they they performed extremely well, um, and yeah, Phil- Philipson was just just incredible, which I think played a lot to Van der Poel's win. So yeah, Rob, if you're um, 
Jumbo Visma right now. Are you pleased with how the Cobbled Classics have gone, or are you disappointed because you've of course they've of course come away with um, the uh, classics, this uh, E3 Classic, Ghent um, Rival Game, etc. Um, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think I th I think they should be happy. I think you look at it and you go, we are the best Cobble Classics team by a long shot. Um, I think I think you can still argue Wout van Aert as the favourite for next year's uh, Roubaix and Flanders. Would would you settle for the results they had? I'd I'd argue probably not. I think they'd rather win Roubaix and Flanders as opposed to just everything else because th those races are kind of worth for me a lot a lot less than Roubaix or Flanders. Or they'd have rather have won one of Roubaix and Flanders and then like three out of the five of those smaller cobbled races as well. Um, also, not winning San Remo, you know they've they definitely want to win monuments and yeah, yeah. Two have gone by now, three have gone by even, and the two remaining, I don't, I don't, I don't see them as favourites for either. Um, so I, I don't think they win a monument this year now, which they definitely won't be happy about for sure. Um, I'd say no, they don't settle for the results, but yes, they do settle how their riders performed and ultimately they have to say uh, I'd, I'd say Flanders was bad luck with Van Aert's crash maybe he'd have been dropped anyway um, and Roubaix was definitely bad, bad luck um, I don't think I don't think Van Aert would have won anyway no. of the puncture I think either Van der Poel should have sat on him enough to then out sprint him or they'd have waited for Philipson and Philipson wins that sprint. But don't know, maybe, maybe he'd have just rode away um, on Carthor Labra and not been caught, but uh, hard, hard to tell. So overall, I'd say I'd say mixed emotions for them, mixed emotions for sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, we look ahead now, Rob. Uh, we've got Amstel Gold Race on the weekend, um, then followed by Flesh Wallon, Liege, Baston Liege. Um, who's your money on that one? Um, well, I'm still. I think is is is. Uh, I I think I think the favourite is overwhelmingly. Bogatchev said he's he's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I I think the the betting markets look pretty crazy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they've given like Bogatchev half the chance of winning, and then everyone else was like twenty to one. Um, so yeah, I think it's reasonable to expect Bogatchev to dominate. But uh, yesterday we had um, uh, Brabant's appeal. Um, ben Benoit Cosnefoir performed extremely well. Uh, Tom Pidcock, you know, you put in a pretty. He looked very good in Flanders until he wasn't there. Um, so I think I think Pidcock can do well. I actually also think I I I I think I think Bogatia has a harder time beating Pidcock than people think as well because you have to. Amstel Gold's not that hard. It's quite hard for Pogaccia. He's definitely a lot better rider than Pidcock, a lot stronger than him. But I think it's still quite hard for him to ride Pidcock off his wheel. And there you there you go again, Rob. Like bigging up Pidcock, and he's <laughs> he's not up there. He's not up there, Rob. Not no, he's yet. not. He's not. He's not up there. But I, I think I think he outsprints Pogaccia though. I think okay. I, I definitely agree. Pogaccia's the favourite. To win over Pidcock, but I, if Pidcock comes on his best form, I think he 
you can give Pogacar troubles. I might say this now and then. Pogacar just drops him with seventy k <laughs> to go and wins by three minutes. Which I, I wouldn't be shocked that, but but yeah, I think I think Pogacar can do well. Cosnef, Benoit Cosnefois is like a rider who's only on form for like the two weeks of the Ardennes Classic, and then pretty invisible for the rest of the year. And you you, you look very good at Renard's Pale um, yesterday, so I expect to see him in the mix in some capacity. Um and then yeah, Flesh will on. I'm not, I'm not too sure on the start list for that. I know Pagach is going, although he really didn't perform that well last year. I, I don't quite understand why he didn't perform well. I expected a lot a lot more from him. Um and then other than that, I'm trying to see I'm just looking at the start list now, the Flesh will on. Um yeah, it's a very incomplete start list still. Doesn't look like an art or Roglic are going. Uh, I would imagine, yeah, but yeah, I think Flesh will on kind of very incomplete start list so far. So kind of hard hard to tell he'll do well there. David Gardu as well, another rider who can perform in these races. Valentin Madoir, uh Danny Martinez, um, another Ineos rider who I think has been a long way off where he should expect to be this year, but he performed well in these races last year. Um, so, yeah. And then looking on to, on to Liège, um, you got, yeah, Pidcock again, uh, hard to drop on the climb, packs a good sprint, but I think in comparison to, um, to Pogaccia, not, not too much chance. Um, Rem, Remco doing Liège as well. I'd like to see uh, Remco versus just check Pogaccia. Pogaccia is doing Liège. Has it been confirmed yet? Um, I haven't seen that, but not sure. Um, oh yeah, Pogaccia. Yeah, so we yeah Pogaccia and Remco both both to do Liège, which I, I is a showdown I'm very much looking forward to. I think those two riders very hard hard to beat for anyone else. Um, Remco continues to pain the form he's he's shown in his last races. So, so I thought I think Liège is the one I'm really excited for, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no, hopefully Van Art's there as well. That would be good. Yeah, and um, I was just looking at the date, Rob. We're less than a month away from the Giro. The season's plowing ahead very, very quickly. And uh, yeah, yeah. Lo- yeah, lots of racing going on. Yeah, really entering a new phase of the season now, but definitely a good one, one that I'm looking forward to. And yeah, looking forward to the Giro for sure. Should be people expecting a big showdown between uh, Roglic and Remco there, but um, Giro has definitely thrown a lot of surprises the last few years. So maybe perhaps a surprise GC GC winner, but with all the time trials, I'd, I'd be very surprised. So, so yeah. Yeah, nice one, Rob. Uh, we'll be on very soon talking Liège. Take care. Yeah, sounds good. Bye.